For so very long, it's been... Go on, George. Tell how it's gonna be. But in the end, the commission only said... We figured it 17 different ways. And every time we figured it, it was no good. Because no matter how we figured it... But no matter how you figure it out, I still don't get as much as anybody else. Somebody don't like the way we figured it. So now, there's only one way to figure it. And that is every man for himself. When this is the end. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or is it now? As a new year hits, through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up. Mm-hmm. Looks okay. The world survives into another day. And the way forward goes through, as it must, The Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. The number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Ah, can't find it? We can help. This here is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah. Plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Good morning, everybody, and welcome in. We didn't get, uh, it's always important to get to the to the filmic references. And so yesterday when we were talking, I think, who was it that kind of gave us a summary, maybe Dave, of the legis- the state meeting at the state legislature oh, yeah. and the walking out, the uh, empty seat? Doug, a little bit of Doug. Yeah, Doug, I think. Yeah, Doug yeah. I think, provided a little bit of that. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, everybody, if you care to join us today. We have some open phones and text opportunities now. We have Mike Pulaski, California Golden Bear Hall of Fame quarterback, radio analyst for the Golden Bears. He'll join us at 1125. And then an outstanding quarterback whisper guru type who's been on with us a couple of times now. I really like the young kid. Max Brown, who will be working the game with J.B. Long Friday night from Memorial Stadium. Max does a great job of studying tape and film and talk about throws and and angles and passing lanes and all of that and what a quarterback's release and mechanics. I heard a guy earlier today, and I can't even remember the term, but Romy was talking to Eric Burns a while back, and Burns was talking about a hitter who had Corbin Carroll maybe or somebody, talking about um, uh, a that's what we call the treasure barrel or something something along that. That's what we call the so-and-so barrel effect. <laughs> okay, that's what we call the barrel effect. Again, I'm just trying to figure out where that term is. TJ, TJ, I'm sure TJ could call and run in. and Well, uh, the barrel effect. Where the, I heard Eric Burns talking about a hitter in the playoffs in yesterday's playoff game was some sort of barrel effect. So anyhow... Mike Pulaski will join us, and then Max Brown, who does a great job of breaking down quarterback technique. He can talk to us about Sam Jackson the fifth, about Ben Finley, about who he thinks may start and will start or should start or both may play, although Sam Jackson the fifth against Arizona State, not a good first half really at all, but finished well and is likely to be the starter for Cal at quarterback. Justin Wilcox has been a little coy, as coaches are wont to be. 
during game week. Sure. He even laughed when somebody asked him, well, do you know who you're going to start a quarterback? <laughs> and Wilcox chuckled and said, well, he chuckled, according to the report I read, and said, well, we'll kind of see how things play out. But Sam Jackson, the fifth, became the first quarterback to start and finish a game against Arizona State in the 24-21 Golden Bears win this past Saturday. Finley has either been replaced by Jackson the fifth or Jackson the fifth has replaced Finley. And according to reports, Fernando Mendoza, redshirt freshman, is in the mix this week to possibly play. I love it. So all of that is, I think, a little bit of gamesmanship on Justin's part, but it may also be the reality of kind of where they are with the quarterback position. Jim Wilson said near the end of our broadcast against Utah on Friday night when, well, Jim, with this game in hand, and how nice is it to say that about any game, particularly when you're playing the number 10 unbeaten team in the country in the Utah Utes and the back-to-back Pac-12 champions, well, with this little game in hand, let's talk about next week briefly. And Jim said, Cal doesn't know who the, doesn't, he essentially said, Cal doesn't know who their quarterback is quite. So he talked about how they're talented. They're better. Mm -hmm. They're better this year. The Beavers beat Cal 38 to 10 last year. And Cal rushed for, count them, nine yards. Cal rushed for nine last year in a 38 to 10 loss to the Beavers at Reeser. This year, they're averaging 212 yards per game. On the ground. What did they average last year? I'm not sure. I haven't looked at that total per se, but I know they rushed for nine in an absolute blowout by the Beavs here. Which, their 212 yards takes us back to, and we'll revisit it a little bit with uh, Jim Wilson and others, maybe even the man himself, Evanson Bernard. But the last time Cal had more rushing yards per game in a season than they're averaging now was in 2005 when they had a pair of running backs, one was named Justin Forsett, and the other, Marshawn Lynch. (laughs) Remember that year. And in that game, in 05 at Strawberry Canyon, which, again, you just never know, how how do you figure some some things? The worst game Aaron Rodgers ever had in his life as a passer was against the Beavers in 03. Nine of 34 for 80 yards. (laughs) Aaron Rodgers himself, nine of 34 for 80 yards against Mark Banker's defense, and then the Beavers on the other side ran roughshod with Steven Jackson, Mm -hmm. and the Beavers won handily in Strawberry Canyon. What was the the upsetness by the one of the Beaver coaches' special teams? No, their special teams, thinking that we were targeting. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what that hullabaloo was. Yeah, there was a little bit of a hullabaloo. Uh, Greg Newhouse uh, was upset at one of our own guys for a cheap hit, I think. But anyway. Two years later, but you're right, it did happen there. Two years later in 05, give it to Evanson Bernard 42 times. 42 oh, yeah. carries. Those that's a good old day. That's Bill Earthquake and your team. Yeah, almost. 50. 50. For Bill. 299 yards, 50 carries. You won't see no. that again. But you may never see, I mean, we may see again as, as cycles go, but Ev, 42 for 194. And that game, Marshawn Lynch, the featured back on the other side, 14 carries, 58 yards. <laughs> Go Beavs. Evanson, 42 for 194. Then the Beavers won there in 07 on the Kevin Riley meltdown and Jeff Tedford's meltdown, slamming the clipboard down, that famous moment. 
Great tackle by Joey LaRock in open field to get Riley down, and time ran out on Cal. Beavers 31, California 28. Kentucky had beaten LSU earlier in the day, so mm-hmm. Rich Brooks's Kentucky team. So for a half of football, Cal was the provisional number one in America, and the Beavers beat them in Strawberry Canyon, then completed that long streak two years later, going down there in nine and winning again. They lost but they lost in San Francisco at the Giants ballpark in 2011 when Cal's Memorial Stadium was being renovated, $321 million worth of a renovation. And when the Beavers went back in 13, they won there again over Sonny Dykes' team. So that meant five straight trips to Strawberry Canyon. The Beavers were victorious in all memorable games in their own way. We'll talk about all of this as we go today. Mike Pulaski. Cal analyst, former Cal quarterback, part of one of Cal's greatest teams ever in 91, going 10-2 and and winning the Citrus Bowl. I think he was the Citrus Bowl MVP on New Year's Day. And then Max Brown at 12.05. In the meantime, open phones. And the filmic reference, good night and good luck. A good movie, very good movie. Black and white, too, but modern day. George Clooney directed Edward R. Murrow's story. And McCarthy getting up and leaving in, in real footage, Joseph McCarthy leaving his own hearings, the the, the uh, hearings that were going on. Yeah, well, uh, I have to go. Uh, and the television cameras kept showing his empty seat. And that just struck me as symbolic a little bit of what we've been hearing from Doug and others about the look yeah. at the legislature meeting last Not week. Not being there. So, with that said, that's where we are. You've been busy well, tapping away. To, what do I'm you got? I'm trying to look up last year's Cal season stats. Yeah. And it, it says pick a season, so I click on 22, mm-hmm. and it just keeps defaulting to this year because yeah. I want to know how much they used to they averaged in right. rushing per game last year. They were a bit of a mess on offense in the last several years. That's been the case, unfortunately, for Bill Musgrave. It just never really clicked. Jake Spavitol. I look forward to talking to Mike Pulaski about the Spavitol effect. <laughs> he was a co-OC and quarterbacks coach when a guy named Manziel won the Heisman at Texas A&M. He's worked with 10 different quarterbacks who've gone to the NFL. So there's something there. And he has revived the offense to a large extent. So we'll talk to Pulaski about that a little bit later. In the meantime, Dave from Tumwater was on early on the downward dog phone line. The University Honda text line is also available, 4975356. And before we dive in too deeply, remember t- to join us tomorrow. We have a grand opening event at Ace Hardware in Corvallis. Looking forward to seeing you tomorrow from 11 to 1. Mark it down at 2445 Northwest Kings Boulevard as we celebrate the grand opening of Ace Hardware, 2445 Northwest Kings uh, within the Timber Hill Shopping center with tickets, prizes, free food, a lot of great things to give away, and a quick text to win. Yeah, thing. we've got 37 people. Okay. Text in the word ACE, if you haven't already, A-C-E for ACE Hardwares, and uh, we will give away the $50 coupon for ACE Hardware in Corvallis. The brand new store will be at tomorrow. We'll give that away on uh, Friday when uh, TJ and I are here in studio, but for tomorrow's show, we'll have a whole bunch of uh, prizes to give away, including tickets to the UCLA game and, on site. And the first 50 folks coming through will get a free gift of some sort. Yeah. There'll be coffee, pastries, and other 
fine items available. Let's head north and get started, as we often do. Appreciate our uh, the next voice you hear. It's Dave from Tumwater. Dave, good morning. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. I hope I have a better connection now yeah. than I did yesterday. You sound, sounds really good. sound very good. Okay. Well, a couple of quick hits that just came up uh, while I was waiting on hold. Wasn't the old five game the game that Evanson fumbled into the uh, out the end zone and uh, cost us an opportunity to go ahead? Or was that a later game, Mike? Do you remember no, offhand? You know, I'm not sure. I do think there was an Ev fumble that did go out of bounds or cost us a score. But for everything else it was doing, and when you're toting it 42 times, that's you're susceptible to that. He had a magnificent game. I do remember that. But I think you're right. There was something near the goal line involving Ev, yes. Not as devastating as the 08 game no, in Stanford no. or a similar kind. By the way, Chris Russo is advocating nationally for a change of that rule. He thinks the penalty is extreme and the ball should simply go back to the 25-yard line with the loss of down. And I... I can you hear that, Dave? So are we off the air? No. Oh, okay. Are you there, Dave? Dave, are you still with us? I I, oh. I am, but the national test is going on. Right. It's the eleven twenty test that's been on all the news. We just oh. have to get through it. There's nothing we can do about it. Okay. So, yep. hey, Dave, hang on. Let's get through it first. John, can you tell okay. me when the message is over? Then we'll resume our conversation. Well, it's happening everywhere. It's on the phones and everything. Well, um, I know, but is it? Yep. Now I over? I Yes, I guess. I know nothing about it other than it's quiet now. So, okay. yes, it's over. Okay, except your reference to it's the 1120 test, which is the first I'd heard of it until right this moment. We've so. been talking about it ad nauseum on the news about, hey, at 1120. On this date. On this date, there's going to be a, a, a national thing. An abs- phones, okay. computers, your phone, okay. the, the telephones, uh, the... Uh, you know, just everywhere. And it's a, they made a big to-do about it. And then there's conspiracy theories that came out about it, which oh, I... Oh, yeah, they were crazy. Yeah, they were. And but so, we're all still here just talking yeah. about Evanson Bernard and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I forgot about so, it, but then uh, I figured, oh, oh, there it is. Yeah. Okay, so Russo is on his national show, Dave, advocating what? Now, oh, he wants but, the ball, but, the but, offense but, to retain but, the ball? Yes, but you okay. move it back to the right. 20 or 25-yard okay. line with the loss of down. I like that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a penalty. It's a, uh, there's no other way of marking the ball. Right. But, it, but giving it to the defense, turning it over, he thinks is an extreme consequence of, of that turn of events, and I happen to agree with I, that. I do. But I, I agree. Yeah. A quick shout about Edward Armour. I saw that movie, Mike, in one of the most vivid moments in film history. Morrow's in the planning room with Fred Friendly and some other CBS executives. And he says, we have to run this report because you can just feel the fear in this room right here now Mm -hmm. as we talk. Yeah. Yes. Excellent movie. I thought Clooney did a great job directing that. I love the acting, the storyline, the pacing, the style with the black and white. All of it was very good. And documentary in nature, too, because McCarthy's all over the film. But that's just stuff pulled from the hearings. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit like Oppenheimer in that way. Yes, yes. So, gentlemen, I, I couldn't, I didn't, wasn't able to listen to Pat Casey's interview live, but I did listen to the podcast. And John, I had a John Warren-like moment because for the first time, 
following Pat Casey for 20 years. <laughs> Pat said something I didn't agree with. <laughs> I mean, and maybe I misunderstood what he was saying, and it's a segue to a point you made separately, John, and that was this, and that's when Pat said, because you raised the point about rebuilding the PAC conference, the PAC yeah, two, yeah. into whatever it might become. And Pat said, well, we don't control our destiny there either. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, you don't control your destiny in any respect of the way things are going. With the Big 12, the Big 10, I mean, you're kind of buffeted by circumstances. But I, I, I'm not asking you to comment on Pat. But I, but I, I did have to stipulate, John, because I, if I was if I was talking to Pat, I would have pushed back very dis, very discreetly and very gently, like you famously did. And maybe I misunderstood that. <laughs> but John, what what I want to ask you is why have you come? I don't know if you've come around, but I wanted you to elaborate. You couldn't do it when you're interviewing Pat. Yeah. Well, when Mike Riley was about to come on, but it seems you've come around to the idea of rebuilding the Pac-2 rather than looking for a, a, a Big 12 invite. And I have one more one more report uh, on locked on Big 12. To sure. Yeah, the short answer is I'm not really, I haven't. I, I'm not really sure where I am. I'm right in between because we did, we did uh, talk about it, Mike and I did, earlier this week. If you could get the Big 12 right now, would you take it? I don't know. I don't know. Yes, part of me would say jump at it, get the security, uh, it's not as bad as travel-wise as the Big Ten, and there are more like-minded uh, communities, if you will, in the Big 12, smaller communities, that kind of thing, than there's the Big Ten. And to me, it's a far better far better prospect to go to the Big 12 than the Big Ten. And there's security, the money, and all that, okay, okay. But then I'm thinking, kind of like you're thinking, Dave, in that maybe there's something to this Apple possibility with potential for a lot more money, and if, if the Beavers and Cougars win the lawsuit and it's clear that they get to keep any of the assets, and if this rumor of, of some football playoff and ESPN money that totals like 150 a year, oh, it's college football playoff money that I think each conference gets like $300 million a year or $150 million a year, they would split that two ways. Then I would say maybe go that way and and utilize that for two years. Put that in your coffers for any kind of dry future, and then see what what happens from there. This is all great and interesting and compelling stuff to kick around. We do have Mike Pulaski, Dave, in a couple minutes. So what was the other point that locked on Big Twelve, and then we'll get back to some of this other stuff later. Well, I just just wanted to say Drake Toll because I I, yeah. I check him regularly this morning show. He talks about how all the new schools that have come in to the conference all stink, with BYU accepted. That's no surprise. The two far and away best schools in that conference, Oklahoma and Texas, are leaving. And it just reinforces my sentiment that I don't think that's necessarily going to be a great conference we should jump at. I think rebuilding the pack with the best of the Mountain West and otherwise, if we can't get a Big Ten invite, and either way, with Big Ten or Big 12, it makes Oregon State and the Cougs somewhat hypocritical about, well, we don't want that because of the travel and student-athlete help, uh, health. And so the first time you get an invite, that argument goes out the window. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do the travel and everything else, student uh, well-being uh, notwithstanding. So that's why, bottom line, I'm for build, rebuilding a regional conference 
on the Pacific uh, time zone. Okay, now, Dave, and all of that to say, and we'll break and we'll kick it around some more, I'm sure I dare say, in the weeks and months and years to come. But that is, that is, uh, all of that, I like that plot, that model, when you said there's a third alternative or whatever. Yeah, I like that if, and this is where all the lawyer, lawyerly types and great minds are working at, the, if the assets are split in such a way that you can stay afloat because of that, then maybe you do hold out for two years. But if that's in question, if that is, hey, well, I don't know if you're going to get this or not, you can't be left just kind of falling into the Mountain West, if that makes any sense. And to me, that's still a possibility, too. Yeah, that's why threading the needle is so very important. And just to reinforce what you said yesterday, Mike, I'm completely with you. Great news that Scott Barnes is going to be piloting our ship for the next year or two, if not longer. Dave, thanks for everything. Let's take a break. We're coming back with Mike Pulaski, Cal Hall of Fame quarterback, radio analyst for the Golden Bears to talk about Saturday night's game. That's next on Joe Radio. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. A statement was made in the background here a few moments ago about Cal, you know, and their history, and it's interesting football history. I submit that in 1991... When Cal went 10-2, and two, led by our next guest, they were about as good as anyone in the country. For I say this, because in Berkeley, Strawberry Canyon, the Washington Huskies, who went 12-0 and 0 that year, the only game they really were pushed in, and I mean the only one, was against Mike Pulaski and the Golden Bears and the late Bruce Snyder's team. I believe the final score was 24-17. to 17. And that Washington team was as good as any team I've seen come through. Uh, the Pac-8, 10, 12, the 72 Trojans are in that mix. Mike Pulaski was on the field that day in that game against that team. So we'll start there and then jump ahead to 2023. But Mike, the radio analyst for the Golden Bears, Golden Bear Hall of Famer, what comes to mind about that game that day, Mike, but that team that went 10-2 and two that year with you at the, at the quarterback spot? Hey, hey, Mike. It, it's so the funny thing. I just saw Mario Bailey, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we went to Washington, and it brought back memories of that year. They celebrate that '91 team. We took them down to the final play of the game in that game, and and uh, I joke because I played in the Shrine game with Mario and Ed Cunningham. And if it weren't for two Ed Cunningham leg whipping penalties that didn't get called, Washington loses that game at our place. Uh, but. I, you know, my favorite part of that season is that team. My teammates were fantastic. Mm-hmm. They were uh, entirely dedicated to the work it took to be great. They were tough. They were smart. It was a classic Bruce Snyder coach football team, and that's what made that season great, right? It's, we remember the wins and losses, but the locker room for me was the best part of that season. Yeah, tremendous, Mike. And I remember watching your teams play and you guys had a couple of really big years, your junior and senior years with Bruce. What we were talking about off the air, and maybe you can speak to this, the the difficulty of sustainability and coaches, even Jeff Tedford in his amazing run where he was the provisional number one playing the Beavers in 07 and the, the heartbreak ending for the Golden Bears that day in Strawberry Canyon with the clock running out. I mean, there have been runs, and you were part of two great teams, but sustaining it and, and keeping it going, what are your thoughts about how difficult it's been to do that through the years? Well, so it's funny. I'm actually giving a speech about something to that regard this Friday. But it's, it is all about priority dilution, right? 
what are your priorities? What are you trying to do? And how do you keep focus on that? And that's been the problem at Cal is there are so many competing priorities that take precedence uh, at the time, right? As they always say, the squeakiest wheel gets the grease. Um, and there are a lot of squeaky wheels around Berkeley. And so that has been the issue there. And when you have people with a, a uh, tightness of focus on the things that count, the things that create the revenue, which is football in this case, then you end up with exceptional football teams that can really perform. And when you start to lose that, either at an administration level, at an institutional level, or at the coaching level, which was really the coaching level issue was part of Jeff Tedford's problem there, is that he kind of lost sight of what got him to where he was and, and started bringing in some dudes that you know, maybe didn't fit his culture as well, and that killed the culture. But when you start to lose focus and you start to dilute priorities, that's when you get in trouble. And that's always been the problem at Cal. It's been the problem, let's be honest, at Oregon State, Washington State, you know, the schools around the conference, who when they are good, they are very good. But when you lose your priorities, you lose your way. Hey, hey Mike, this is John with, with Mike Parker here. I have a question along the lines of what you're, what you're saying, and it is this. Is, is it more difficult at Cal and perhaps even Stanford because of the Bay Area where you're in, the culture down there, um, on campus in Berkeley and some of the, uh, that, like you say, priorities academic wise, and also just, uh, for, um, people who are advocates of things and, and rallies and things like that. Is it more difficult? Would you say at Cal for an athletic department to say, Hey, we're really important. We need to fund this because we're like the, the, the front doorsteps of the university or is it, is it more difficult? Do they say, no, no, we don't. It, athletics don't matter because every college, I think, has that battle, but it might be more difficult for some than others. I think in part because Cal is such a phenomenal institution, right? A research institution. They get grants in the, you know, in the range of somewhere near half a billion dollars a year, you know, got funding coming in for projects, for schools, for other stuff on campus that even at $120 million or 115 or whatever you think for the athletic department, it's not as big a priority as it would be in other places. And so I think that there is an issue there. I think there's also uh, a lot more distraction in the Bay Area, right? It's the number five media market in the country. And so there's a lot more things to be distracted by if you are a fan. But I will tell you this, teams that win put people in the seats. When you have people in the seats, then you have attention on the program. That attention brings in students, it is your branding for your university. Study after study has shown it. That if you win football games, campus life as a whole goes up for students, for professors, for programs, for everything else, because your visibility is so much larger because athletics are your branding. And again, it goes right back to revenue sports or the revenue sport, football. When football is performing well, everything else on campus performs well. And that's been proven in study after study. Mike Pulaski, Cal Hall of Famer, former Golden Bears quarterback, current radio analyst, our guest. When I think about the the uh, well-renowned, glorious academic history, I've been I saw the film Oppenheimer. I've been reading the book Oppenheimer, and I have an anecdote about Oppenheimer. Looking out the window, page I can't remember what page. It's a thick book, but he looks out the window at Berkeley and says to a colleague as he's teaching physics there. Something to the effect of enjoy the view while you can and while it lasts. Now, there was some, <laughs> some 
uh, gallows humor in a sense in that because he was, yeah. you know, at work at something that, you know, may not give any of us a view down the road. But that was his right. statement. Enjoy the view while you can. That's kind of resonated with me as we come as Oregon State, perhaps for the final time to one of my favorite places in the world, Memorial Stadium in Berkeley. So I'm going to enjoy the view while I can. Mike, how do you feel about how all of this is playing out and you guys off to the ACC? Well, it's horrible. And I've said it time and again. Here's the thing, as me as an athlete, right? The people who are in charge of these decisions, the people who have made these decisions, this is going to be a blip or a bump on their resume. But for me, for the Oregon State athletes that competed, a good friend Dave Miller played center up there, for, for the Washington State athletes that competed, for the Stanford athletes that competed, for everybody in the conference who competed in the past 12, this is our legacy. It's part of our DNA. It's not a resume for us, right? This is what we did. We lived it. We bled there. We sweat for our team. We sweat for our school. I have a tattoo of a block C and a bear paw on my left arm because that's what it means to me. I will bet you a million dollars right now that none of our administrators or none of the administrators of the conference have that because this is my legacy. This is what I did. This is part of my identity. It's not for them. And so for them, yeah, it might be a loss. But for me, this is like losing family. The Pac-12 is our home. It's where we played. And so our identity goes away this year for, you know, being slaves to TV money and being slaves. And quite honestly, for having a lot of West Coast hubris uh, is part of why we ended up where we are. But it's, you know, again, for athletes that played, this is, this is horrible. Um, but at this point, we can't control it. We didn't have a say in it. We weren't in control of it. And now we have to try to make the best of what we have in front of us. Well, clearly that last part is true. But, Mike, I appreciate your candor in that apparently you haven't been given marching orders to, hey, make sure you sell this. Make sure you tell everybody it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure you would take too well to somebody trying to tell you to, hey, spin this this way. You're speaking from the heart, it sounds like. Yeah, I never have. And, and obviously people are trying to control the message. But the message is they blew it. <laughs> and now... I feel horrible for Oregon State and for Washington State. I absolutely love those programs. I mean, I have really good friends that played there. I have really good friends who are big donors at some of those schools. And to see what's going on with you guys, with Oregon State, with Washington State, and everything being treated like they are, these are programs that have committed to doing the best they possibly can in the area that they're located, and they have done a phenomenal job at it. And now, all of a sudden, they're left out? That, that's, that's horrible. And it's it's just completely wrong, in my opinion. Mike, thank you again for sharing from the heart. And so let's talk about the game itself. And yeah, I hope it's not the last. I hope somehow, some way, sensibility, rationality may return, and we'll see we'll see you again somewhere somehow. But if right. this is it, what kind of matchup between these two teams now, where Justin is with his team this year? What you've seen Jonathan Smith and Jim Mahalchik and company do up here, what kind of game are you expecting? What do you make of the Beavers in 23? I'll tell you what, just watch that Utah-Oregon State game um, again, and the Beavs are really, really good this year. I think the, the first compliment and biggest compliment I can give you, Jonathan Smith always does a nice job as teams, but Jim Mahalchik is, I think, is the best offensive line coach in the country. He does such a fantastic job with his offensive line, year in, year out. Uh, he is a, I, I get to see him firsthand, obviously, here at Cal. I get to know Jim. But he does such a good job with his O-lines that 
And that's where you set the tone for your team. That's where the personality for your team, the identity for your team is really fostered. It's where it's grown and nurtured is the offensive line. Those guys set the tone. Everybody else follows along. And so they are a physical, tough team. They will run the ball on you even when you try to stack the box and make it an unfriendly box against it. They, they are... Um, they have an answer for everything you do, so everything has a counter. Run the ball inside, run the ball outside. Run the ball inside RPO. You know, pass game, play action pass. It all plays with each other, and they do a nice job of calling that offense as well. So I think they do a great job on offense. And then defensively, they are a take-no-prisoners type of defense in that they will come up and they will pressure you. They will make you make them respect you. And, and if you don't do that, they will continue to harass you and keep a, an unfriendly box for you. And so they are fun to watch. They are a tough, physical team. And you have to take the game to them. And if you don't, they are going to take it to you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Mike Pawlowski, our guest here on the Joe Beaver Show. The Cal running game, is it a spread out, find big holes and try to go one-on-one stuff? Or is it between the tackles, pound it down your throat? They do a little bit of you know, kind of modern college football now, it's, it's all the air raid base, and it's, they'll run some inside stuff, so inside zone. They'll run power. They'll run counter, all the gap scheme stuff downhill. Uh, but most of it's based off of an RPO scheme. So if you give them a friendly box, you're going to get the run. And if you give them an unfriendly box to try to pack the box, and they're going to have an answer for you on the outside. And so uh, I like the run game. I like Mike Blesch, too, the new O-line coach at Cal. I think he's really good. I think he brings the same type of attitude that Jim Mahalchek brings. I just still think the offensive line at Cal is a work in progress. He's only had, you know, a spring and a fall to work with these guys right now. And so, but I think he brings that same mentality to it. The run game can be effective at times. What the Bears need to do is really kind of figure out the passing game. Sam Jackson, who they brought in that quarterback spot, is an electric athlete, but the game is going way too fast in his head, his head right now. And so when he is back there passing, oftentimes he will be through reads before they ever open up. And, and I said at my podcast this week that he's freelancing in terms of his drops and steps and everything, where he'll forget assignment and technique, and all of a sudden he's through his read, and the read hasn't even had time to present itself. And so as a result, he misses these passes, he takes off running, or he gets sacked. And if he can slow the game down with his athletic ability, he's a pretty special player back there. Now, we've seen Ben Finley as well, and Ben had some success, but then against Washington threw a couple panic passes that end up in you know, interceptions that just completely changed that game. And I'm waiting to see Fernando Mendoza, who's another kid who competed for the spot in the spring. I love the way Fernando works. He is a typical 6'5 prototype you know, NFL-style quarterback. Super smart. He is a gym rat. He is in the film room constantly. Uh, his teammates love him. He is a guy that has, has literally put in all the work to be really good. And so I'm hoping that at some point he gets a look as well. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I know that Justin Wilcox, being coy as most head coaches are during pressers during uh-huh. the week, yep. he wouldn't commit to a starter. Is it at all important that Sam Jackson, the fifth, did start and finish against Arizona State? You just try to build on a better second half that he had against the Sun Devils. Do you think we might see Finley? Do you think we might even see Fernando for a series? I mean, do you have a gut level as to what may unfold Saturday night? Uh, so I have zero idea. I was, I was I saw Justin being quiet. I have a plan. You're just not going to know it, right? <laughs> and so 
it was it was and Justin is a completely different personality, but it felt like Mike Leach back there for a second, yeah. right? Leach always had a plan and he was never gonna let anybody in on it until he did. And so uh you know, same same idea, just keep guys guessing because as a defense mm-hmm. you have to prepare for it. Jake, and, uh, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I I mean, personally, I think and maybe it's a hope more than you know, more than actual facts leading me there. I want to see Fernando. I want to see mm-hmm. Fernando Mendoza play. Okay. He's young. He needs reps. He's going to need some seasoning. But I think he has a huge upside. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, the other guys need to slow the game down. Ben needs to slow the game down, and so does Sam Jackson. So right now they're kind of stuck with, not stuck with, but they have three youngish quarterbacks that are playing like young quarterbacks that haven't finally, you know, hit that football comfort level yet. Mike, we've seen a few videos of, of Cal uh, Memorial Stadium five minutes before kickoff. There's hardly anybody there. Did those eventually <laughs> fill in? Was that just kind of people hyperbole on someone going, look at what's happening here? Because, you know, at Oregon State, because of the, the few numbers of entryways and the people coming in single file, it really doesn't fill up until you're about three or four minutes into the ball game. Was that the case, or is there a problem right now with people showing up at Memorial Stadium? I wish that was the case. Uh, last week versus Arizona State, it was very light-seated. It's, my buddy, by the way, who's a beeve, said, I saw a lot of fans disguised as empty seats. <laughs> so there was, a, there was a lot of that at the game um, last week. Now, first couple of games was pretty well, were pretty well attended, which is nice. And the thing is, when you win in Berkeley, people come to games. They, unlike Stanford, and, and again, I don't understand this at Stanford, because they, they used to have great football programs, you know, with Jim Harbaugh mm-hmm. and with David Shaw. They had great teams winning 10, 11 games, and they'd still only have 20,000 people there in a gorgeous stadium. And so, but at Berkeley, when you win, you get fans. When I played there, we averaged 60,000 a yeah. game. Yeah. And, and, and when Jeff was winning games, Jeff Tedford, when his team was winning games, he was getting in the 50s and 60s for games. Mm-hmm. Because people want to be a part of a winner. But when you're not winning, there's other things to do in the Bay Area. And that's what people tend to do. Mike, last question, we promise. Thank you for your time. But are you still hosting Gridiron? No problem. I love being on with you Hey, thanks, Mike. We really Gridiron Outdoors, are you still in that world? And how's that going? So so the show itself uh, is no longer... It's still airing, right, as, as digital products do, it lives forever. Mm-hmm. So it's still airing in different places internationally and all that. Uh, I am not producing any new episodes of Gridiron okay. Outdoors. I actually had uh, some injuries left over from football. I had to go over and get four discs replaced in my neck a ah. couple of years ago. So I couldn't pull my bow. I couldn't shoot my gun anymore. Okay. And it made it a problem for me to, to keep filming. But I am still doing fly fishing content online. Any of your fans can go to YouTube and go to Familiar Waters. You'll see the fish, fly fishing stuff. And if they want a primer on football, like learn more about the game, Elite Athletes TV, I have a YouTube channel there as well, and I do a ton of stuff about how quarterbacks think and process hmm. about scheme. You'll see some stuff up there from the Beavs, because I, I really am a big Jonathan Smith and a big Beavs hmm. fan wow. uh, with what they're doing. But you can get all that content there. You can see it, break down the game, understand a lot of concepts uh, that I go into detail, into the weeds on a lot of this stuff. Mike, it is a, a pleasure to visit with you again. I, I don't even like to think about not playing you guys down the road, so I hope we can stay in touch no matter what through the years. <laughs> Thank you for taking time for us again. We appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you at Memorial Stadium on Saturday. Thanks for your time, Mike. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Looking forward to seeing you, and as always, I, I appreciate you guys, too. I appreciate what you do, Mike, and I appreciate what you guys do. 
again, I, I love the Pac-12. I love the Beavs uh, and the Cougs and all of the teams in Pac-12, yeah. except for maybe SC. But, you know, that's natural. <laughs> yeah, so you have to you, have, have you have to have some principles. Hey, thanks a lot, thanks, Mike. Mike. Good talking to you, Mike Pulaski. Boy, he was a great quarterback Mark. in this league. Oh, yeah. Check out his YouTube channels. I didn't. He's got some Oregon State content. Watch what John, you know, the type mm-hmm. of thing that Max Brown, who will join us at 12.05, also, I think, would say, okay, watch how Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith run this play and why this play is effective. So if you're trying to get a deeper dive into the game, you know, the book by Tim Layden, Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, or whatever it was, breaking down the history of formations and styles of defense and offense and so on. It sounds like this is up that same alley with Mike Pulaski providing content about how a quarterback thinks, how a play works, and why it does, and who does it well. Now, I remember Dennis Erickson said to me years ago, and I talked to him about, you know, do you think about running screens a little bit more? I didn't go to him with the pink Erickson doctrine. Get the ball to the tight end. You sound like my dad. Get the ball to the tight end. Get the ball to the tight end. Dennis said something I thought was, again, pretty uh, honest, Uh a good deal of candor when he said, he just said, I've never really had a great feel for the screen game. And I remember during those times when everybody was saying, why not? Why aren't you running more screens? Now, he says that, and yet... And that may be self-deprecation to an extent because Mm. he ran screen. We had screen passes in the offense, and they were run effectively at times. But there are certain coaches who have better feel for running stuff than others do. And I think that was just the screen game's never really been my thing. But in the game we should have won at Arizona State, and Tim Ewis, is he's listening, he said, yeah, we'll talk to Tim about that, by the way, before the UCLA game on a road show next Mm -hmm, week. mm Mm-hmm. But we threw a middle screen to Steven Jackson, who took it from like R15 down to the Arizona State 20 on a screen pass to win the game. And then we end up getting pushed back, yeah. pushed back and lost the game. But I remember it was a middle screen to Jackson that gave the Beavers a chance to win. So for a guy who said, eh, I've never really had a great feel for it, he called it at the right time then and almost won the game. Down yeah. there. Anyway, let's take a final break this hour. Max Brown at 12.05. Thanks for joining us on Joe Radio. All Mike right. Pulaski's a he's a smart good guy. dude. He uh he's good. Yeah. And is he the actual radio he's the radio analyst, analyst. the Jim Wilson of the California. And Todd would be on the on the field and Pulaski would be the analyst to Starkey, who's now yeah. retired. Joe, forty eight years, came to <coughs> Reeser last year on his farewell tour, the great Joe Starkey. Yeah. A guy I think named Justin Allegri. Uh, I think that is how to pronounce his name is the new guy taking over for what Starkey. What is he, 22? not sure how old he is. <laughs> but I look forward to meeting him this weekend. You're, you're going to be the old man. That You know, you still got Healy and Jeffries who are a little bit older than they me are. and longer, a little like 10, uh, Healy, 98. Jeffries, Jeffries was there like in 92 late because 89. I, I wrote to him once. Yeah, because I worked at a station with a guy who said, "Yeah, I worked in Arizona with uh, Brian Jeffries. Mm-hmm. Just give him a call; he's a great guy." And I did, and he couldn't have been nicer. Hey, a guy that came out of the Arizona broadcasting tree. Uh, there are broadcasting trees, actually, but one of there them. There are, yeah. Ryan Radke, remember that name at I all? I do. He does some national football radio games. One of the great voices I've ever heard, and really good. Uh, the football that he does. Ryan Radke was sort of a sidekick to Brian Jeffries yeah. for a while. And I hear him now on the 
on the national uh, radio broadcast. Not a lot. I, I I don't know. He just it's hit and miss with him. It's Kevin Harlan, generally speaking, doing yeah. the national radio games. Yeah. Anyway, tomorrow again a reminder. We hope you'll join us. The new Ace Hardware Store. It's a grand opening event. A celebration tomorrow. If you're one of the first fifty on hand, you'll get a free gift as you make your way into the new Ace Hardware Store. There's going to be all kinds of uh, demos going on from various companies, big brand giveaways out of, uh, we'll have a couple of different hoppers going. I think Ace will have one of its own. We'll have one for tickets and Highland Bowl passes, tickets to that UCLA game and some various other prizes as well as a complimentary coffee, pastries, and other items that will be available just as you walk in the doors at the new Ace Hardware Store in Corvallis tomorrow, 11 to 1, 2445 Northwest Kings Boulevard. Tyler is very happy that uh, we did not have the commercials in the podcast yesterday. That's not necessarily something we do every time, but it happened yesterday, and it's going to happen again today because of a a certain button. Glennie wants to know how long Jerry's been the voice of the Ducks. That was 80. Five? No, 87 was his 87? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think Jerry, Jerry may be the longest tenured. I think Jeffries took over in 88 in Tucson. So it could be Jeffrey, uh, Jerry, Jeffries, Healy. And maybe yours truly moves in. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, kind yeah. of in the, you know, if, if we get to the pack too, I'll be the longest tenured broadcaster. <laughs> Only because. Chazanow got there yeah. after the. Great Bob, Bob Robertson was there I will for have that. so many years. Let's, uh, who do we got on the Pat phone? Pat has a couple of quick thoughts. Okay, let's get to Pat on the Downward Dog phone line just ahead of our top of the hour break. Hey, Pat. Hey, I just wanted to compliment you guys. Uh, I thought yesterday's two interviews were about as good as uh, any Beaver fan could ever get. Uh, just uh, listening to those two guys, I could do that for hours. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you could too. Yes, but, uh, thank you. Thank smart. you, Pat. Sure. Uh, one other quick note. I, I know, uh, you know, Miguel Cabrera retired uh, mm-hmm. this weekend. I don't know if you saw the ground ball when he, he went out from designated hitter for one out uh, to play first base so they could then take him off the field. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Kwan hit the first pitch mm-hmm. pitch to him right to Cabrera. So Stephen Kwan's going to be in that film for the rest of history. And yeah. also the uh, what was Miguel Cabrera's last thing in a major league baseball game fielding a grounder grounder by uh, Stephen Kwan. So it was <laughs> it was kind of neat. Nice, to see that. nice. Hey, and one other thing with the Beaver connection, I don't know. It, it's it's a sad one for me in the sense that it looked as though in our own Andrew Moore, speaking of great Beavers, that when he got on a fairly fast track to the major leagues that Andrew was going to, you know, go up and be there for a long time, be a major league pitcher in a rotation with the Mariners or somebody and win a lot of games. His very first start in 2017 for the Mariners, he won and he struck out Miguel Cabrera in that game. And I remember Nate Yeske and many others and I were watching in Omaha. The Beavers were in Omaha we gathered together uh, at a at a sports bar near TD Ameritrade to watch one of our own, one of our favorite sons in, in Andrew Moore, pitch that game in the big leagues. And when he struck out Cabrera, 
He had just almost this little smile, smirk on his face. Did I really just strike out Miguel Cabrera? <laughs> and yes, he had. And I asked Andrew about it later, and he said, yeah, the moment was not lost on him that he struck that guy out. So we have that connection, too. Yeah, it was uh, it was a it was a good it was a baseball god as they said. Yeah, couldn't have, couldn't have happened any better. Nice, Pat. Hey, good to hear from Thank you. you. Thank, thanks for the thanks, kind Pat. words. Some yeah. uh, some trivia for you. Yeah, last night's Texas Ranger um, Tampa Bay Rays game nineteen thousand seven hundred something, the lowest since the nineteen nineteen World Series between the Reds and the White Sox, who were then the Black Sox, who became who the, became the yeah. Black Sox because of the. Kennesaw Mountain Landis declaration that they they he would suspend and and forever footnote on a footnote get rid of him footnote on a footnote eight men out good, good trivia movie. very good movie underrated movie they were called the Black Sox not because of the scandal but because Charles Comiskey was so cheap that their uniform would get dirty and dark <laughs> and black they called them the Black Sox. The following is a production of the Two Docs Broadcasting Network. There is no place like home. Home, my home. I suppose your name is Smith. Seven, eight, nine. Indeed, Niner Jonathan Smith has come home. Smith sets up, corner up. As Jonathan returns, so does the Joe Beaver Show with the familiar names. His name is Mike. Mike Parker. You do know him, don't you? And... But John isn't Tormund. John isn't Davos or the Red Woman or Stannis for that matter. John is John. And their familiar means of wailing guests. Get that fellow's number! Get his number! But it's one number Nine. that we rally around as we welcome you to the Joe Beaver Show on 1240 Joe Radio. Hey, it's good to be back home again. Yes, it is. No, I can't disagree with that. If it's real, it's real. If it's real, it's real. As we welcome you to our number two of the the Joe Beaver Show. Tomorrow, we're going to be at the new Ace Hardware in Corvallis on Kings Boulevard. It's uh, in the same shopping mall. There's Winco. That was my my old sto- uh, stomping grounds. I understand right next to Ross Dress for Less, where my son Matthew used to work. Did he? <laughs> I chuckle because, you know, he, here's this strapping six foot three inch, very handsome young yes, man. Yes, he is. And there were these ladies. It was all ladies. <laughs> And they were older, so they mm-hmm. was they just he, he garnered a lot of attention mm-hmm. and and loved to to work with them. Yes, and had a great time. It was it, it didn't fit. It was like you work here. What are you doing? What are you doing here? Because <laughs> he was so young. You know, you should be mm-hmm. at a at a ballpark. A little bit somewhere. of the question of the piano man. Uh, what what's the line in Piano Man where Billy Billy's speaking of himself? Yeah, they, I know it's me that they're coming to oh, see. Come forget on, man. about what life are you for a doing while. Here? Yeah, what. 
And yeah. they put bread in my jar and say, man, what are you doing here? That's <laughs> Billy's own way of saying a little bit what people were kind of suggesting to Matt, your son, <laughs> yeah. years ago at a good establishment called yeah, Ross. Absolutely. I like Ross. So and we're going to be close to it tomorrow. Right, right next to it at Ace Hardware. Well, of course, we'll have uh, tickets to give away for the UCLA game. Uh, drawings. They're going to have um, uh, gifts to give to the first 50 guests that'll come in. It's a it's a grand opening. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure, though. Is it a, like... First day that the that doors I'm are open? I'm not sure. Sometimes grand opening. If had were if Chad, I yeah. don't know. I mean, it, sometimes you're right. I but, remember the Les Schwab. We did a show from Les Schwab. We had football players yeah, coming in. Yeah. Do we have details, by the way, speaking of football players, coming about? We're uh, going to have a special Damian show. Martinez. We do. Yes. Coming up, um, what, on the 20th, I believe it is. I don't have it in it's front of me. It's the day before a home game, right? Yeah, in fact, here's the email. Okay. Dam- Damian Martinez, it's all NIL Yeah, let's talk sanctioned. about this. I like it. Uh, Friday, October 20th, and we'll be in the store from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. OSU Beaver Store. The OSU Beaver Store. We're going to go and do our mm-hmm. broadcast, Joe Beaver Show, from the which I we've never done before. We do our tailgate sure. show before every home game. Damien will be available. He'll be available to be on the air with us, sign autographs. Uh, you can sign things. He'll sign things you bring in, but he'll, you know, you buy something, he'll sign that too. Um and there will be an enter to win contest for two tickets to the November 11th game against Stanford. We'll do the drawing at the end of the show like we always do. But Damian Martinez Good. will be on hand on October 20th. And that's a, a little bit down the road. And a week from this Friday, we'll be at Tim Ewis before the UCLA yeah. game. So tomorrow, though, first things first. And by the way, Max Brown, we're not rushing into Max Brown. <laughs> we uh, He... Texted a few minutes ago and said a meeting he's in is going long, so we're regrouping. We'll try again with him at about 1220, 1225. No no problem. Look forward to talking to another studious-minded quarterback, much like Mike Pulaski, younger, a lot younger, but a guy that studies everything and has, whether a YouTube channel, I'm not exactly sure of that. I could look it up here in a minute, but I've seen... People send me clips of him breaking down throws. And early last year, it's interesting now to me to come back to this. Mm-hmm. Three weeks into the college football season, and maybe specifically the Pac-12 season, but he said the best single throw made through the first three weeks or two weeks or whatever it was, taking in all the games in the Pac-12, was Chance Nolan's throw to Luke Musgrave at Fresno State. Just do you consider the enormity of what I just said? <laughs> that was just last year, Chance throwing to Luke Musgrave and where we are now. But I mean, yeah. but that throw that he made to get the Beavers down into position to score a big touchdown was just an absolute dart. He had to put it in a window yeah. over a safety, a corner. I mean, Luke was essentially bracketed and the ball had to be put in just this tightest of windows. And he put it exactly where it was supposed to be, and Luke got it and got the Beavers down deep. It might have been on the winning touchdown that Coletto ended up scoring. But Max Brown just marveled over the arm strength, Mm -hmm. shown the accuracy, putting the ball exactly where it needed to be, and just said that's the best throw he'd seen in the Pac-12 up to that point. Speaking of that, other than than one particular long bomb, one-handed catch by a Cougar against Oregon State, Greatest catch. One I've of the seen. best. Josh Kelly, yeah. Unbelievable. But I thought last week, DJ's throw was, it was good. It was fine. It was where it needed to be in, be, in between some defenders. But I think it was, was it Gould? It was just a catch that was, it came out of like, whoa. 
In other words, it looked like it was going to go low. He reaches, he grabs it away from the defender, but there was also an offender coming was towards him. Was that the sideline pass as DJ was getting blitzed off right the to edge? Left. And he threw it to Reha Minyagi on the sideline? No, Reha no, kind it of wasn't a, a sideline. It, uh, okay. it was like a, a right flat, not complete okay. flat, but 15 down and out. Mm-hmm. It was a down and out. And just a oh, great grab. The, the catch was amazing. And there's been a few. There's been a few. We had the one against San Jose State with Jeremiah... Um, to, uh, Toga. Yeah. No. Jeremiah Noga? Noga. Noga's yeah, catch. Yeah, that was okay. a great catch. I thought it was going to the other receiver. I know. No, the throw was impressive. The, on that. Yeah, the throw. That was <laughs> yeah. a dart. And yeah. that's back when, you know, hey, everyone, we love everything's fine. Yeah, DJ will be fine. He just needs to. I agree. And we'll talk to Max a little more yeah. about that. He's He's been on DJ for a while and talking about what a great landing spot this offense is. So with Max Brown coming up here in a few minutes, Talk to him about what he's seen in the Beavers' offense just from an analytical standpoint. But we didn't get to this with Pulaski because we ended up – I love Mike Pulaski's yeah. stuff, by the way. He's just saying he doesn't care about marching orders. Here's the here's the notes to work off of, Mike, whenever you talk about our move <laughs> to the ACC. No, I was going to ask the same question you did a little bit differently, thinking, <laughs> are you sure you can right. speak It's horrible, way? he said. <laughs> well, and he did kind of come back around to – what he and what Pat Casey said yesterday, what, well, you, you, I think in the end, you got to stop short, whatever happens to the Beavers. I'm not going to, well, this is just horrible. I'm not going to say that even if I feel it. I won't yeah, say that no. because as Pat said, you take what you've been given and you, you make the best of it. Yeah. You take it as an opportunity and you got to look at it that way. So Mike did say, we have no control over it. So we just have to make the best of going to the ACC but he doesn't like it at all. You can, I mean, this happens to me in my life. You can absolutely be furious over a situation you're put in by something else or someone else. And it may be unfair and not right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And you can even take a shot and be, mm-hmm. be dinged for a little bit of time. Like we all were when this whole thing went down. But you, you must, you have to especially in competition and competitive sport, you have to turn around, stop and go, all right, mm-hmm. let's do what we can to figure this thing out and get, and get something big out of it. Otherwise you might as well just yeah, go home. Exactly. Now, Max Brown, I, I'm looking forward to talking to him. I said, we could have talked to Pulaski about this, but the Spavitol effect, <laughs> what is it that Jake is doing, trying to do? I will share with you what I consider. In fact, let me do it now. Talk for a second while he's I pull a, this magazine. He's a young out. guy. He's, he's young been to a lot of different young places. Guy. Worked with Geno Smith at West Virginia. Oh, Spavitol, yeah. yeah. Spavitol, yeah. He's one of those young. He's been a lot of places in a in a short amount of time, which is, you know, the way to do it. If if you it's working your way up the ladder. And now, I want to share with you. I, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with coordinators being in their 20s. I don't Whoops. know how, how old Spavitol is. Now he's in his 30s. Okay. Yeah, you, you're, right. you can be comfortable with him. <laughs> But you can't trust anyone over 30, I think was once said. Uh, under 30, actually. Well, but back in the graduate time. Yeah. In the late 60s, don't trust anyone over 30. In the, that was a line in the movie? Now, I don't know if that was in the movie, but it was in the culture. It was oh, everywhere. It was oh. in the zeitgeist in the late 60s. I don't know, trust I anyone over 30. Who said that, by the way? That is a famous phrase. I don't know who said it. I would think it would be the opposite. It's not in the movie The Graduate, but that's how the young people in the 60s and 70s, in Berkeley in particular. Folks. I would say I would say it's the other way around. <laughs> okay. 
Scouting the Golden Bears. I just we don't do this very often, and and I like preseason magazines. Which I one really is that? Do. Oh, it's the one I got too. Athlon. Now yeah, you have yeah. Lindy's, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I have Lindy's. That's okay, right. Athlon's preseason magazine. These are these are important for the especially out of conference opponents where you don't get as much information. So I like preseason magazines. Yeah. We there used to be a whole pack oh. ten oh, yeah. preseason. Lindy's and Athlons would both the pack ten and would have their full breakdowns. Yep. I love those. I things. still have those in my house. Okay, now Cal in Athlon Sports, it strikes me as a little bit harsh, as they say in New <laughs> England. Here's here's the scatter report on the Golden Bears from an opposing Pac-12 assistant coach. You know, all of well, these, see, they do that. That's they're a, speaking in anonymity, of yeah, course. Yeah, that's a, a feature of that magazine. Yes. Because a lot of these magazines, they use local writers to right. write those. But stuff. I like these. I like this feature in all of them. Yes. Scouting the Golden Bears. Yeah, with anonymous the view, coaches. The view of an anonymous opposing Pac-12 assistant. Here's what he says. Or here's what the coach said. Yeah. Justin is probably in his final year here. It feels really like maker like a make it or break it for his run. It's just such an impossible place to build a power five program. Now we, we did it parenthetically yeah. touch a little bit on that with Pulaski. And there are things that are oftentimes arrayed against you there. Yes. Yes. Continuing from the scouting report, this school actively makes it hard on coaches. They don't seem to care about winning. Wilcox and sermon are good at what they do. This could be a good defensive-minded program. The school might not have support, but you can't blame them for Justin's hires on OC. Former OC Bill Musgrave was a bad move, and it set them back even further. They don't have skill, position, talent, the level of the league, and it's hard to qualify them when they do commit. Spav, Spavitol, uh, is a good move. He knows the limitations there, and he's had some success with Sonny Dykes, but you still need players. If they fire Wilcox, he'll be one of the most sought-after coordinators in the country. No one holds Cal against no one holds Cal against you. Just look what happened to Sonny. That's a pretty harsh evaluation yeah, coming is. from within the league from an opposing coach. I think Justin and his team, they're a good three and two. They they should have had Auburn beat. They had a good look at yeah. they're very close to the only being other four. loss was Washington. Right. And they scored points against Washington. Now that could be Washington's mm-hmm. You know, where are they exactly? Hey, we'll see when they come here. I, I say that to every single team now. Yeah. They said, no, well, I don't care what you did somewhere else. What happens here? Because you don't get exposed. The, the Beavers should have beat them last year. Yeah. Death by I, a thousand paper yes, cuts. Yes, it was. It was in bad so, weather and all that. I don't Pen- care what they're doing now. <laughs> I, I'm just saying that that's a fairly harsh evaluation of Musgrave, of, yeah. all the, of where they are. I think Justin has always been a good coach. His teams play tough and physically on defense in particular. It looks like Spavitol has given them a boost and a lift yeah. offensively, and that's what I want to talk to Max Brown about next. It's a good question, because, but the thing about the programs, certain programs, Cal, Oregon State, uh, Washington State, even Stanford, they can get mired in this, this uh, national feeling like, oh, you can't get it done there. Right. You can't get it done. Right. But there are runs where they do get it done, like, Pulaski said, mm-hmm. he said, look, you know, we had 60,000. They had 56,000 right. when you're winning eight, nine games a year. And and uh, they absolutely have had some traditions, some history and success at Cal. It's just not right now. Quick, I won't get, I don't have time because Max is on deck. <coughs> Excuse me. 
okay, well, let's play it the other way. What does an opposing assistant coach say about our own program? Yeah, what is In this magazine. Maybe the best development program in the entire conference when you consider the limitations and what they're up against. So, see, now that's the, that's the perception that you're saying, hey, let's fight, let's rail against yeah. that perception. Yeah. But that is what an opposing Pac-12 assistant coach told Athlon's writer. The head coach, Jonathan Smith, is truly, truly is the program. They're all pulling in the same direction, the same goals. They're big on culture because they have to fall back on it in the development process. You're talking about a place that's going to take three years or so to get guys ready, and that's not common anymore, and then he goes on. But I, I just disagree <clears> with that. I know, but I, that's a perception, just yeah, as that it, thing about it Cal. Is. You're but, right, you're right, and it's wrong. Let's uh, come back with Max Brown on the game Saturday night, the Beavers in Memorial Stadium against the Golden Bears. The analyst Max joins us next on Joe Radio. We continue on the Joe Bieber Show. Mike Parker with John Warren. We encourage you to join us tomorrow at the new Ace Hardware store in Corvallis. It'll be a grand opening event. We'll be there from 11 to 1. Remember, the first 50 guests will get a free gift. Complimentary coffee, pastries, demos from various companies, including Big Green Egg, Benjamin Moore, Gosney, and others. Big brand giveaways out of hoppers, special buys. It's all part of the new Corvallis Ace Hardware grand opening tomorrow. We are delighted to get to be a part of it tomorrow from 11 to 1. And sunny and 80 degrees. Is that tomorrow, really? 86 on Friday. As you're you know, leaving. As we, as softly as I leave you. And we are going, I think, I think the Bay Area is going to be pretty warm, too. So well, we're going to we're going to go from the warmth into. Good for everybody. 84 degrees on Saturday by day. It'll be a night game. And Max Brown will be on the call with J.B. Long. And it's a pleasure to welcome a. A guy who's been on with us a couple of times uh, the last couple of years. Really appreciate his perspective, his work. The studio host and game analyst, Max Brown, former USC and Pitt Panther quarterback. A Northwest guy, as we talked about the last time Max was on, out of Sammamish in Washington. Max Brown on the Joe Beaver Show. Max, good afternoon. How are you today? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Always, uh, always a Northwest guy at heart. So great, uh, yeah. great to be on with you. Glad to hear it. And you know how much if it's going to be eighty-six in Corvallis, you know that's going to you're going to have a gorgeous day in your hometown area. We love these kinds of Saturdays. So I think we'll be blessed with good weather in Berkeley too. And I think a pretty interesting matchup. Let's just jump right in, Max. There's a lot of things I want to talk to you about quarterback play in particular. But the matchup itself, as you prepare to broadcast it with JB Saturday night, what what are some of the things that occur to you about this game? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind is stylistically, these are two teams that are trying to do something similar um, in that they have a defense they feel confident in. They have an offense that is better than last year, but it feels like there's still more room to go for both these teams, uh, for Oregon State and John Smith and then Justin Wilcox and, and Cal. I think we've gotten used to, especially out West, Cal's offense being um, being poor, I think, uh, in years past. I think this year they have leveled up in terms of the offensive line. That's not a concern where it was last year, but they still have not carved into the explosive plays, especially in the passing game, and they've been rotating through some uh, – some quarterbacks there, but uh, at the end of the day, both these teams want to run the rock. They both have true sophomore running backs that they love. Obviously, Oregon State and Damian Martinez, and then Jaden Ott. For Cal fans that uh, don't know about him, he's a stud. I think he's a Sunday Sunday back when his time comes. 
uh, and again, a, a true pressure, a, a true sophomore for them, that they want to get both touches in the run game and the pass game. When you refer to both offenses, still, you know, there's more room to grow in both. Let's start with Cal a little bit and the Jake Spavitol effect. It had to be difficult for Justin to, to let Bill go. Uh, they, they went back a long way together, but Bill Musgrave let go, Spavitol in. What, what is a Jake Spavitol offense when you look at his history and his stops along the way and working with a Heisman Trophy winner in Manziel at Texas A&M, Sonny Dykes, the effect? What does Jake try to do? What has he brought to Cal's offense? Yeah, much more wide open. Um, it felt like in years past they were trying to do the, the two tight end sets and trying to have a little bit more of that run identity be part of who you are, which, I mean, you mentioned Sonny Dykes there. Obviously, Cal, what, five years ago or so, they really set the standard, them along with Mike Leach, of, hey, wide open offense, spread offense. And I feel like Justin Wilcox that time felt like that might not have been a recipe for success for Cal. Obviously, Cal has done well defensively since Justin's been there and maybe trying to get more back into the run game. And then you switch back to Spavadol like you talked about, and I think it's it's more the, the, the wide-open nature. And to me, I, I kind of feel like nowadays a lot of these offensive coaches are trying to do something similar in the sense of, you know, when you look at Jed Fish and you look at Lincoln Riley and you look at Chip Kelly and now and you can put Spavadol in there, they're trying to be multiple, and they're just trying to combine the best elements from the air raid principles, from the spread tempo principles, and then also not lose track of the fact that there are great pro-style concepts, and there's something to be said about at, at, at all levels of football of making sure the running game is part of your uh, your DNA. So I think Cal's still trying to figure out exactly what that is. They're entertaining three different quarterbacks, from what I understand, both injury, both production, and I think that's something definitely to keep your eye on if you're, uh, if you're an Oregon State fan going into this game. Max Brown, analyst, joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. He'll be working with J.B. Long on the call this weekend. Max, I want to get back to Cal's quarterbacks in just a second, but when you talk about all these coordinators and the things, the hybrid approach, the things they're trying to find, i got to say, and I just wonder what your thoughts are about this 28-year-old guy up in Pullman named Ben Arbuckle and what he's accomplished with that offense. I mean, I, I'm still – seen open receivers and great catches by Josh Kelly in my sleep sometimes up there from the Beavs experience on the Palouse. What do you make of that and his approach with that offense? Yeah, it's super impressive. I mean, yeah, young young guy there, and I admire his ability twofold. There was some, some, some underrated transfer portal additions there. There are other receivers, Kyle Williams, who came from UNLV. I called a couple of their games in years past, and they were super high on a guy like that. And I think it's interesting because, I mean, we'll see where the conferences shake out, but that's something that Washington State, that Oregon State, even Cal to some degree should keep their eye on is, hey, if the, if, uh, if the, top, te- if the top teams are going to poach their talent at times, I think those, uh, the, the Washington State, Oregon State of the world should be looking at, you know, UNLV and Nevada mm-hmm. and things like that because that's what Washington, has, Washington State has done two years in a row with their middle linebacker a year ago, and I think it's, it's, it's allowed them to also feel like they're winning in the transfer portal, which I know Jonathan Smith hasn't done as much of that, but I do think that's a big part of Washington State's success and um, Arbuckle's ability to get Cam Ward to, to, to settle in. I think we thought, or many people hoped, that Cam Ward would settle in like he had this year. They hoped that he had done that last year. It didn't happen for, I think, a few different reasons, but he's playing confident. He's getting the ball out of his hands, and that combination of his ability to throw the rock but then also and, and run it when he has to, not all the time, not that he's looking to run, 
but when the, when the coverage softens, I think that's a, that's a huge uh, double-edged sword for that Washington State offense that they've really pieced together. Max Brown joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. Max, back to Cal's quarterbacks and three. And Mike Pulaski was on with us earlier, the outstanding Cal radio analyst. He talked about three. Justin Wilcox alluded to three, possibly. And so we don't exactly know. But could you give us a thought on each? Sam Jackson, the fifth, and what you've seen and the strengths that he brings. And Ben Finley, the transfer from North Carolina State. And a bit of an unknown, unknown guy that Pulaski says he's excited about in Fernando Mendoza. What, what do you know about these three quarterbacks? Yeah, with regard to Mendoza, I don't know much at all, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll be in- interested to chat with Justin Wilcox and his staff on Friday to learn there. With Sam Jackson, um, the thing that jumps out to you right away is his his athletic ability. And when the play breaks down, the ability to activate his legs. I do like how he, he seems like a pass-first guy, and it's not just a, hey, I'm dropping back just so I can run. They're trying to do things, get a nice – Nice pass on the left-hand sideline to Jeremiah Hunter. So I think it's there, but he hasn't fully unlocked his ability to go through progressions, and you can sense in the play calling a little bit that they don't have complete trust in his ability to operate from the pocket, but he has, he has the, the mobility to, uh, to keep him relevant and certainly put, uh, put fear in defensive coordinators' uh, minds. And then Finley, to me, he's a little bit more of, uh, of, of the polished guy there. Played at NC State. Um, played a lot of football, older guy, and I think he's the, maybe the, the type of quarterback that doesn't have as high of a ceiling as Jackson, but maybe the floor is higher where you feel like uh, his consistency level is a little bit more, uh, under, more under wraps when he's healthy. Max Brown, our guest. All right, let's talk about the running game. Uh, just curious to, uh, how would you compare it to Oregon State's running game? It seems to me if their line, Pulaski's words, is kind of a, some, a, a work, in progress as far as our offensive line, Oregon State with a very seasoned and veteran offensive line, would it, could it be that they're getting 212 yards a game in a more spread-out version of a running game, whereas Oregon State with Damian Martinez, they'll they'll go between the tackles on virtually an entire uh, drive? I think I would agree with that. Um, much more open, more shotgun, and the most basic level probably more shotgun than under center. Obviously, we're going to see T.J. Uyunga, like get under the center, and it's more traditional in that sense. Cal, there's not as much of that, but there, you can still feel the effort from Justin Wilcox in this team that, hey, we have to get Jaden Ott touches. Um, and they got a couple good backs uh, that, they'll, that they'll get to. The Montana straight State transfer, who last week uh, ran for over 4,000 yards in his career, which uh, if you're a football fan, you know how tough that's able, uh, that is to do at, uh, at, at any level there. Um, but yeah, I think it's more, uh, more, more shotgun oriented and it's interesting to hear the offensive lines are work in progress. Cause while I agree with that in some regard, I do think it's noticeably better than last year, mm-hmm. which, uh, I think allows them to have more confidence that they don't need to, uh, try to hide guys or be cute with things and more, uh, more, uh, a run right at you approach. Yeah. And he did say that Mike Blesh, he, he talked about Mahalchik at Oregon state, maybe being the best O-line coach in the country. He just said, in fact, I think he is that Pulaski's opinion, but he said, Blesh is cut out of the same mold and that, and that he's gotten that O-line to play a heck of a lot better when they rushed for nine yards in Corvallis <laughs> last year, when they, they were really struggling in November and lost 38 to 10. It'll be a much different kind of game for the Beavers offensively. Max, I mean, this is where, 
And I don't know if we're at a $64,000 question yet with DJU. I thought he made some tremendous throws against Utah. In each game appears to be some almost mysterious kind of misses. I still feel like a trajectory is, is heading right, that there's bigger bigger times and moments for him to come within this offense. What if, what, how would you evaluate his play so far and what you sense we'll, we'll continue to see here down the stretch? I've seen yeah, a mixed bag in terms of the play. I think, first off, we had the pleasure of speaking with DJ yesterday, and that was as impressive of a player interview as I've, as I've ever conducted. I thought he was very genuine, very um, open and honest with his past and some of the, the comp- confidence battles at times, but how that's given him perspective and almost, uh, you know, scar tissue to move forward in a, in a, in a, uh, in a sense that he's, you know, he's, he's faced the fire and the, the heat of battle there. So I'm definitely bullish on his trajectory moving forward, especially even though, I mean, you can't ignore the fact that, you know, Aiden Childs was sprinkled in there in the third, uh, third series, which I know he's as uh, promising of a young quarterback that Oregon State's had in a little while, but, I really like DJ's skill set. I think when he throws the deep over and the comeback route specifically, that's where it really pops off the film like, oh, wow, there's not a lot of quarterbacks that can do that or at least make it that easy and look that effortless. But I still feel like there's an element of Oregon State figuring out, you know, what what exactly they want their identity to be and where, I, where that's coming from is in years prior – Oregon State didn't have an option. They didn't have an elite quarterback, so they very much had to stay within a very strict scheme of we're going to run, play action first, second down, we're going to do a little bit of shotgun here and there, um, and then on third down, that's where the quarterback's got to come out and make some throws and and just play clean ball. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, but just stick within the system. And then my sense is that this year you have a guy that you want to do all these different things with, and you want to go shotgun empty on first down, and you want to do more wide open pass concepts on, in, in first down. But then, wait, is that who we are? Like, it feels like there's a little bit of even lingering in, uh, in Jonathan Smith, and I'll ask him about this uh, later this week when we get the chance to talk to him. They're still figuring out exactly how they want to call plays because I think uh, objectively this is the most talented quarterback they've had in their time there. Um, I know... There might be a couple people that, uh, that disagree with that, but uh, it just feels like they're trying to figure that out. And uh, these next couple of games, I think, are a big uh, big measuring point for, for them moving forward. Max, are the Beavers flying under a radar within the offices uh, and on the shows? I know that, that you guys cover just the league, and nationally they're kind of, because there's so many other great quarterbacks and teams in our league that are doing so well, which is great. But is Oregon State still kind of flying under that radar? I just I feel like a win here and maybe a win over UCLA, and it's like, man, what does it take? Now, I, I'm not someone who lives and dies by the whole respect thing. I don't care about that. But it is interesting to see that they're just they're very good, and yet yeah, a lot of other teams are getting all the, all the, the publicity. And I think that speaks to just how much the conference has leveled up. I think I agree with you on, on some regard, but on the other regard, I think the top tier of this conference just take Oregon State out, out of the picture, just looking at it from a 10,000-foot uh, 10, view, the, the caliber of the team at the top end in the Pac-12 is just higher than it's been in recent memory. In recent memory, it was, hey, can we just get a team even in the CFP? And to me, uh, in years past, and this year it's, hey, which team do you think is the best of the, of the top tier that can get into the CFP? And can they win a game? Can they contend for a national title? I think we're a couple of weeks away. If, uh, if the teams 
in the conference, stay on the trajectory that we're on. And I know that, you know, USC has a big test against Notre Dame, and obviously only one team between Oregon and Washington is going to walk out victorious. But after that game, like let's say Oregon and Washington both win this next week, whoever wins that battle should be ta- should be thinking national championship. I don't think that is that is that is crazy to think. Obviously, you have a long way to go before then. Obviously, you have a lot of wins that you need to get in a loaded conference. But to answer your question, I think just the top end of the conference has has risen, which then for an Oregon State team that is a really good football team, it can feel like you're flying under the radar. And I do think, you know, that that loss on the road to Washington State was a big one because yeah. wins are going to be hard to come by. And I'm sure you guys felt it, felt the uh, the optics of Washington State change two weeks ago where now they're, undefe- now they're undefeated. Now they're in that conversation of, you know, being one of those undefeated conference champs and can they hang with the Oregon, Washington, and, and USC. If Oregon State wins that game on the road, then I don't think they're flying under the radar because they would be in that undefeated now with two quality wins, Utah and Washington State. So get a win however you can. I think uh, the, the conference is certainly going to beat up on each other, but that top-tier conversation has changed a lot this year. Last thing with Max Brown. He and JB will have the call on the Pac-12 Network Saturday night at Memorial Stadium in Berkeley. Just to close with a thought, we haven't touched on Trent Brave as the coordinator and the Beaver defense. They did give up a lot of yards and points, particularly in the first half in Pullman. We've touched on that a little bit. But what did you make, even with Utah's quarterback issues? And, and maybe that's not giving enough credit to that problem. I mean, but Utah was dysfunctional offensively against that Beaver defense. I'm just wondering how stout, good, how much Trent's unit, the, those guys, Max, and what you see on film will be challenged by this approach with Jaden Nod and the quarterbacks who may you know, see some action. What yeah. you what you feel like about that matchup, Cal, against the Oregon State defense? First off, it's been awesome to see Coach Bray's uh, progression. I had the pleasure of being on the call for his, his first game when he was the defensive coordinator two years ago, um, Stanford, Oregon State, and when uh, Coach Jonathan Smith made that change, which um, was controversial a little bit just because of the timing and where that where things were, but obviously in hindsight, what a, what a great move that was. And Coach Smith and Coach Bray deserve a lot of credit. And I think what jumped out to me the most is just the, the veteran nature of this Oregon State team. It feels like it's a lot of familiar names. It feels like a lot of – uh, more, more senior-led, um, a lot of known commodities there. When you look around the conference, I look at a USC. I look at a Arizona from a week ago. It's a lot of new faces. We're talking about a lot of transfers, a lot of guys that are trying to fit together, even you know, talking about Colorado and uh, UCLA in some regard of new faces. How do they glue together? That's not the conversation with Oregon State. I think it speaks to how that program's built, and then it comes through defensively where – you feel like the, it's a unit playing together. To me, it doesn't. Not one specific position group necessarily stands out. It's they're strong at all three levels. And if we've learned anything through the first month of the year in the Pac-12, one, I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect defenses to, to be perfect. I think you're going to have to be able to put up 30 points a game to win. But if you can, if you if you can, if your defense can can at least be a factor and dictate certain series of the game. That's going to give your team uh, a leg up in a conference that has a ton of, tons of uh, offensive firepower. So I love Oregon State's defense. Um, love what Coach Bray's done, and it'll be fun to see them uh, match up against more of the uh, explosive offenses throughout the conference. Max, we appreciate uh, your astute work 
in studio or as you will be Saturday night with J.B. Long in Berkeley on the call on the Pac-12 Networks. Thanks for your time. As always, Max, we appreciate it. It was fun, guys. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Max Brown does a nice job. We've had two really good guys breaking things down today. Different than yesterday's interviews, which had a different (laughs) kind of feel with legendary men and great people and Mike and Coach Riley and Pat Casey. Today, we kind of dived a little bit more into the nuts and bolts of things with both Mike Pulaski and Max Brown. Tomorrow, A.J. McCord, a storyteller, visited with Easton Mascarenas Arnold. It'll be part of Talking Beavers this week. And our good old friend Todd McKim on a little bit of everything. He'll join us tomorrow, as we hope you will join us at Ace Hardware, the grand opening Joe Beaver Roadshow. Ace Hardware, Timber Hill Shopping Center, 2445 Northwest Kings Boulevard tomorrow. Let's take our final break. Any calls, comments? Uh, We've got both the Downward Dog phone line and University Honda text line available. 541-497-5356 on Joe Radio. So I say to you, I say Aristotle. What say you? Well, the first thing, I'm kicked back <laughs> like Matt Moore. Yeah, he's got Excuse his me. feet got, up. Yeah, I haven't put my feet up like that for a long time. Uh, Plato, how about that? That's word association. Five-year assistant coach at Cal from Jesuit. I called his high school games. Aristotle Thompson, John refers to on Justin Wilcox's staff. Aristotle Thompson running back at Jesuit High School. John called games for. But if you're playing the name association game, Aristotle, Plato. That would be the first thing that would come to mind. <laughs> were they in and Aristotle? Uh, they were in conflict. Aristotle, the the pupil of the great one, the greater one, by the way, a greater than Aristotle is here. Why? Well, I like Plato's theology and ideas better than I like those of Aristotle. Were they in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? They may have been, which I've never seen. Is it worth seeing? <laughs> yes. yes. You yes, know, I, it I, is. I hear that it's actually pretty funny <laughs> yes. and good. Do they do they take Plato or Aristotle or both on took one of all. their adventures? Yeah, I they, like they the would idea. They go somewhere and then get them all, and they're all fitting in this phone booth, which you know. I like the sound of that, Doc, <laughs> and I'm surprised funny. I've never seen it. Keanu Reeves and who else? Some guy that never did anything okay. after that. Okay. Well, thanks for the recommendation. That I will take you up on, <laughs> and I'll go longer than your ten minutes with the third man. We're going to go to Dean in <laughs> Albany in just a second on the Downward Dog phone I have line. A ten minute rule for every movie. <laughs> Four nine seven fifty three fifty six. If there's anything on the University Honda text line, we'll have a look. We'll have a look at the handsome man. Who says that? Nobody. That's an old Phil Harris tune that four people remember. I can tell you who Phil four Harris is, but remember. I can't tell you about that song. Nobody. Okay, Dean is in Albany. He's never heard of Phil Harris, I bet. Let's go to Dean and see what's on his mind on the Joe Beaver Show. Hello, Dean. Oh, hey, Mike. And, yeah, I'm, I'm about 70, so I've oh. uh, heard of Bill Harris. Yes, thank you. Good to know. I'm 58. Um, yeah. Um, I need some calibration and reality checks on the situation. And um, this is regarding the conference realignment. And I'm seeing about a 40% chance of the Big 12 picking us up. And I see that as the best scenario because those are very viable schools mm-hmm. and we have the potential for like a West coast division. Yes. And we can super stack and uh, weight heavily the, uh, the dates and the, you know, for basketball, baseball, everything. And, it, and it's a good baseball conference. Yes, too. it is. And, yeah. In other words, 
you'd be sort of like the old Pac-12, but a, obviously a smaller division. And then maybe eventually Cal and Stanford will come back home and join us. I think they would actually eventually, because mm-hmm. this is a, a, a completely untenable situation for them. Yes. So I'm seeing that at about forty. I'm sorry, Mike. Yeah, go ahead, Dean. I'm listening. Is this Dean Roberts, by the way? No. Oh, okay. Thank I'm you. Not, I'm not Dean Roberts. Um, so um, I see that a little less than half, and I could be wrong. But then the other scenario that I kind of I'm uncomfortable with is building out uh, the Pac-2, so to speak, to six or eight teams. And, yeah, you could call yourself Pac this or that, but uh, national perception will be uh, a glorified Mountain West, and just how people will see it, I think. But I could be wrong. I don't know. And so I see that as a higher probability and not so likable because, you know, the everyday, it's always about, the, to me, the everyday games and basketball and baseball, all these sports, and of course football. Yeah, here comes New Mexico, nothing against them, or mm-hmm. Wyoming, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to be the same. Right. It's just a different level. And then the big kahuna in the mix, in my estimation, is the recruiting. I just think it could be a potential another rebuild for Jonathan. That's a tough deal for him to go through again because uh, we have this lull right now. This is tough on recruiting currently. Yes. And and if we were Big 12 next week, all of a sudden we're back in Texas. We could, we've got some great guys out of Texas. Yeah. And so um, I'm just uh, looking for your perspective on my analysis, and um, that's about it for today. Dean? I have one question. Yeah, go for ahead. Dean. Dean, I like what you say about 40%. Where, do you, where are you getting that? And I'm not challenging you. I want to be with you on that. Are you seeing something? Obviously, you're seeing and hearing stuff that I'm not seeing, that we're not seeing. But do you have a lot that you're seeing on some of these podcasts? Or what, what makes you feel like it's 40%? Well, you know, there's a couple podcasts uh, in the last day. Mm-hmm. Um, Big 12 podcasts. And you're young guys. Um, and they're calling it a high percentage. And one of them said 99%. He was throwing stuff at the wall. He doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so you, but, you discern but, it. But... but, but but um, the long and short is this is really complicated, this thing. And um, to s- summarize it, like in 10, 20 seconds here, I'll do my best. There's about a possible $320 million to split up between two teams. Mm-hmm. And it would behoove the remaining four conferences to take care of business, and especially the Big 12, where it's a real fit with the land-grant model. It's a good fit. And, and like I said, build out that division here. That would make sense for them because the remaining four conferences don't have an upstart competitor. They can, it's always about consolidation, business, whatever. This is just consolidation, and they get the money. They get split that money, $320 million. That's the number they were talking about. Right. So that's what put me uh, – I'm not comfortable with half. I'm between about a third and less than half probability, but – Unfortunately, I, I think we could be headed for a glorified Mountain West. We can call it whatever we want, but that's kind of what it is. And it's a different deal around here. I'm just being, that's just how I feel. Well, yeah. And Dean, and, in terms and, of calibration, anyway, go ahead, finish your thought. And, I, and we'll, we'll, we'll kick it around as we have been for weeks now. But what, did you have a final thought you wanted to share on that? Uh, I, I just uh, what I really mean, Mike, is a reality check. Where am I wrong? Where am I seeing things wrong? Um, that's just how. And I'm drilling down on the computer, on the Internet, and some right. of it's good, some of it's not. 
but uh, what do you guys hear? Where am I wrong? Well, Dean, I, let, let's stay, stay with us. Stay with us here. And I don't know how off, you know how much you're listening to the shows. We've had have you? We've had a guy named Alan Thayer on a number of times here recently, who has Beavers Behind Enemy Lines, a Facebook group that he originated. He's an attorney, specializes in business law. He is aware of, very well aware of, and informed on uh, whom the Beavers in Washington State have retained as counsel. He has said that those people that the Beavers have retained are very big on antitrust issues and matters, that they're, that they're well aware of some of the issues about that, if that number is 320 or whatever. I mean, uh, we that's a number that's also been thrown out. How real that is we're not exactly sure, but I do think there's a big number that you're referring to. Whether it's that much or not, we don't know. But Alan Thayer is of the opinion that what you're talking about, 40%, that may not be a high estimation. It may even be higher. It may even be more in the court of what the locked-on Big 12 people have been saying, that they're thinking it's highly likely. So that takes it beyond 40 to what? 70, 75? The one guy says 99, whatever. But it makes it likely if if those numbers are real, about the 320 and so on, that before we get to the preliminary injunction on November 13th in Whitman County in uh, Pullman, that there may be some sort of settlement that I think it's maybe higher than 40%, to be honest with you, that the Beavers and Cougs could get absorbed into the Big 12. This is all just idle speculation on my part because nobody's told me a darn thing. I know nothing other than what I read and hear on the Internet and what people like Alan Thayer, who are more versed in some of the business aspects of this and the legal ramifications here and what could be in the the evidentiary phase as lawyers on both sides are looking to see what the assets are. Oh, wait a minute. We Could we perhaps be susceptible to a charge of collusion that we made this happen at the damage of both these universities as we you know, left them out. I mean, there may be the specter of antitrust legislation and things they don't want to have come about. Therefore, and this is where Dave and Tumwater, who's a frequent caller here, and others say, hold out, hold out. You have leverage here now. You don't have to just be absorbed into the Big 12, which may have its own realignment issues in four or five years, and you could face the specter of being left behind again if it moves to a 40 to 50 team power model that a lot of people say we're ultimately headed towards two conferences featuring 25 teams each that are the power 50 or 40 or whatever in the world. So the big 12 doesn't, while it offers stability now in terms of its television contract, it may, you may be in a similar place in five or six years again. Whereas if you have a lot of resources to deal with, and you know, those assets belong to you, that the building things back out again and in two years surviving with money, Power 5 money, and maybe even bigger budgets than some Power 5 schools are getting now, you could hold it together for a couple of years and then bring in the best of the Mountain West and maybe the uh, good teams from the AAC or elsewhere where it's a viable conference that has retained group of, uh, Power 5 autonomy status and is treated with a seat at the table in the Autonomy 5 with uh, all the CFP playoff money and the 12-team expanded field, getting the full shares of that, getting an automatic berth into the playoff. If you win this newfangled conference, it may not be quite as dire as you're saying, just sort of a glorified Mountain West. It could be, Dean, something better than that. So there are people who are almost arguing for that 
rather than just simply say if the Big 12 now panics and says, oh, we don't want the, the specter of discovery and collusion possibilities and all this with networks and presidents and uh, here, just come on in. When you may have actually leverage, you'll never have again. There are people who believe that that may be the case for both Washington State and Oregon State. Well, my feeling is that the, the, what you say about perception ultimately will carry things here. Why I don't necessarily want to hold out, per se, right now today on this October 4th, for something that could happen and could be a great thing in the mountain, you know, the the building out of the Pac-2 into another conference. That may be, if you, if you guaranteed us all that money to share two ways and give us two years to use that money and build the thing out, that might be the best, but I'm not sure you're going to, that that's going to actually happen that way, whereas if the Big 12 invites you in, that's a bird in hand with some stability and a Power 5 reputation. Part of the Power 5 world that won't, as you say, hurt you in the recruiting aspect as much as if if you fall into the Mountain West, quote-unquote, that will be used against you and people, the athletes that say they want to compete at the highest level, I don't think we'll have the opportunity. All coaches and programs everywhere else will say, you're going to be playing so-and-so and so-and-so and you're a Mountain West school. That's going to hurt on the recruiting trail, whereas if you're in the Big 12, no one can use that against you. You're still a Power 5. So if this Big 12 thing happens, I would lean towards it, and I think it has a bigger chance of happening than your 40%. Does that make any sense at all, Dean, what I just said? I don't think it does, but does it to you? Well, thank you. It's uh, a little bit of music to my ears because I see the, the Pac-2 build-out scenario fraught with risk and not necessarily making sense, and uh, so much of it's just the geographic layout of the West. It's vast. There's not many people to play with out here. Yeah, Dean, got to go to Fresno. No, I know. And, uh, you know, Fresno's got a Fresno State's got a great team. I know. And, and there's other, Colorado State. Yep. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sandy. No. Hey, we're out of time, Dean, for today. The music's playing. We got less than ten seconds. You ask great questions. Thank you for your contribution today. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. See you at Ace Hardware tomorrow on Northwest Kings Boulevard.